0: Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions.
1: Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. When I put out a call for folks to suggest someone as a guest on the podcast, Stella Sain's name came forward. And as luck would have it, Stella was speaking at an Alberta women's entrepreneur event the following day. So I signed up for the free event. The group is called WeSTEM. And the event was called Inspire 2021, celebrating women's entrepreneurship in Southern Alberta. There was a diverse group of women on the panel, And when a question was asked about discrimination faced by women in the group, Stella spoke up about her own experience. Stella Sane and her husband Sheldon Hill run Sweet Pure Honey. They are beekeepers, and they work their 400 hives in Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan, which is an eight-hour journey from their home. It's hard work, and Sheldon spent off-seasons working in the oil patch, until he was laid off. Times are sometimes tough, but they have persevered with gratitude, attitude, and love. And I say love because I asked Stella how she ended up in the beekeeping business. And she said she fell in love with a farmer in college. Before our interview, Stella and I spoke on the phone and we had an instant connection. I am struck by her courage and vulnerability and her strength and perseverance to live as her authentic self. I know you will be too. A trigger warning, though, for this episode, it does make reference to racially motivated violence and also reference to the discovery of thousands of children's remains at some of Canada's residential schools. This may trigger some of you. If you are a victim of a crime, contact the Canadian Resource Center for the Victims of Crime at 1-877-232-2610. The National Residential School Crisis Line for Former Students is 1-866-925-4419. There will be a link to these resources and others in the show notes for the podcast. Okay, Stella, tell us, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are
0: you? Hi, I'm Stella Sain. I am talking to you from Medicine Hat, Alberta. We are on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 land. I... I'm skeptical to make that land acknowledgement without telling you what I'm doing for the calls to action. So we'll get into that later. But I just wanted to acknowledge that I am here and I am an ally and I will tell you more as we proceed. So Medicine Hat Alberta, we are about two and a half hours from Calgary. Our bee farm is located in Porcupine Plain, Saskatchewan, but as you know, bees sleep in the wintertime and rest and hibernate. So we live in Medicine Hat, Alberta during the winter, and our bee farm is in Porcupine Plain, Saskatchewan.
1: Well, let's talk about that journey to get
0: to your bee farm. It's an eight-hour journey that we commute back and forth, my husband and I.
1: Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Wow. I can't believe it. So do you stay overnight somewhere? Or
0: how do you do that? You know what, we do make it in one journey. However, now we do not go back and forth as frequent, I just stay longer. So over the years, I don't know if you've ever traveled long distance, but As you age, a human body should not be sitting in a car for eight hours. So we have to stop. We walk along the side of the road. We rest. And mostly when we get to our destination, we stay for an extended period of time to allow our body to rest and move. You should not be sitting. You just should not be sitting for eight hours. And I mean, I don't know if you know the new slogan, but sitting is like smoking now.
1: I did hear that. I did hear that. So how did you through your incredible life that you've lived so far, wind up with a bee farm? And that is your entrepreneurial journey. Tell me that story. I know it's a big question.
0: I fell in love with a farmer. So I fell in love with Sheldon Hugh Hill at the Medicine Hat College, and he was a farmer and a beekeeper. And if you ever fall in love, I say this to my girlfriends and people who have divorced or now dating, there is this moment where you gaze upon or look at someone and you just know it's just over it's done you fall in love so all my girlfriends who have divorced or dating I'm like just date and have fun because you know that moment where you just fall in love and you don't want anyone else you just know this is the person that I want to be with and fall in love with
1: and you followed him because he uh was already a farmer
0: Yes, he was here studying visual communications. I was enrolled in general studies and we fell in love. I had a tragic death of my best friend and he invited me to come to Porcupine Plain. I was mourning and grieving. And if you've ever lost someone, you literally wake up the next day and you don't know how the world is still standing. You look and you're like, the trees are still there. Homes are still there. Everyone's still going on, but your life is over and devastated. And he said, Come here, come to the farm. And I went to the farm and I laid in wheat fields and I sat and I ate home nourished meals from his mother. And I went in the garden and my whole soul, although I was grieving and didn't know how I would continue, I felt felt supported and nourished by the land. And I was born and raised in a farm community, Fox Valley, Saskatchewan. So that's my roots. So there's no doubt that my upbringing definitely came into play with with the end of my life. Like you do gravitate to what you know and what is home. And there's just smells and scents and experiences that make you feel reassured and definitely farming and being out in nature just made my whole body at peace.
1: To hear you talk about it, it sounds more like a lifestyle and, and really a life than a career.
0: Definitely. Definitely.
1: And so what have been the ups and downs from, falling in love and grieving on
0: this beautiful
1: farm to becoming bee farmers?
0: Well, the one thing that people don't tell you is honest, real life, everyday living is just not glamorized in our society. People do not uphold the human beings that keep the fabric of our society going We're just not celebrated. And I can say that because I know it and I lived it. I live with integrity. I now know COVID has brought this clear to me. The life that we created is real. It's honest. It has endured. But the life that social media and corporations and people who will manipulate Manipulate human emotion to gain profit, there is a disconnect between the people who actually do the work and the people who market the work. And I was raised by a mother, a single mother, who told me my worth and my value. So I knew that I deserved that accolade. I knew that I was worthy. I knew that. I am a person who deserves respect regardless of my color, race, where I come from, my class. And that changed everything for me. And now I'm watching an entire country come to its knees regardless of their position or their color or their society. And we are all at one because we've all been forced to just follow the rules wherever we are. And I can say that this whole journey has brought us full circle to reminding us how we got here, how we are now where we are. Love, honesty, integrity. If you guide your life by those principles, in the end, you'll win. How
1: has this system that you speak of, uh, patriarchal capitalist society, How has it treated you?
0: You know, it's funny because anyone who knows me, who's been close to me my whole life, I've always spoke of injustice. I didn't have the words for it because, so my mom raised me, my mom's white. So I was raised in an all white community. Later on in my life, my siblings found me. My father is of Jamaican descent and I have four siblings. So it was only later on that I had a face to my culture or why I'm brown. So growing up, I always knew something wasn't right. And I didn't have the words to explain it, but with everything coming forth with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and the people around me now giving words and giving experience and feeling, everything that I've experienced till now, it's made me who I am. You cannot step out of your door with a bulletproof vest. And this is to explain to you what it's like for me to go out into the world, to present myself, to show up at events, to show up in places. I put on a bulletproof vest and I walk around and I carry that. It affects you. It changes you as a person because you are protecting yourself from pain and hurt everywhere you go. And people either get that or they don't. Now, the miraculous part of my journey is I was raised by a mother who empowered me. I always knew my worth. I always knew I was loved. And it was an invisible cloak that just allowed me to go through the world and believe that I was equal, that I had a fair chance. Life and experience has taught me that's not true. It's just not true living in Canada that I had the same opportunity and experience as a brown girl married and raised by a single parent. I did not have the same experience that my co-workers and the people around me had. And I used to question, like, what is it with me? Why can I do this? Why can I? And it was only from other people coming forward and telling their experience that I realized that's me. That's what I'm experiencing. I have been doing double duty since the day I was born. It's the way someone looks at you. It's the way they talk to you. It's what I have to do extra just to be heard and seen and listened to. And you either know that or you don't. And I have so many people around me that are like, I haven't experienced this. I haven't seen that talk. To anyone who is brown and ask them their honest experience off the record. That's the other thing people don't realize. There's certain things you just cannot say because you will have a consequence financially for saying it. So it's only now that I am able to speak of this because we were brought to our knees. We lost everything. We are here and I'm being vulnerable because I realize now this is my legacy. This is what I have to give to other faces and voices listening to me. I can be honest. I can talk about my experience and I can save them and validate them from the years of trying to figure out what was going on that I knew was going on, but no one said it out loud.
1: So let's call it what it is. It's white supremacy, and it is very rampant in Canada, like you said, and I would say even more so in rural communities across the country. So in the spirit of making things known, what sort of things have you faced in business and and personally in smaller communities?
0: I would start at elementary school and I didn't know what racism was. My mom was born and raised in a small farming community and we never spoke of race. She never spoke of me being black. She never spoke of my curls or my locks or anything different. So I honestly didn't know I was black until other people pointed it out. And one day I was chased down the street from my elementary school, Mother Teresa's school, with my cousin who tried to defend me against, I mean, we were kids. Like I'm talking, we are 10-year-old kids, and they're calling calling me chocolate ice cream. And we had never experienced back and forth racism and we said you're vanilla ice cream and she is white and i'm
2: brown and we're shouting back and forth you're chocolate ice cream <laughs> you're vanilla ice cream
0: and that was my first experience and i remember riding the bus cuz i used to take public transit my mom was a single parent she worked so to go to and from piano lessons or dance lessons. I often had to take public transport. And I remember sitting there and realizing because two women across from me were saying, look at that black girl, look at that black girl. And I had never heard those terms. And I went to school and this is how old I am. I went to school and I looked up black in the encyclopedia and read the definition. And at this time, apartheid had just come into play and Canada had boycotted different South African companies and everything was just coming into play. And I was reading about this literally in my elementary school, grade five class and recognized that's me. This is what I'm experiencing. This is my life. This is who I am. So although I was raised white, the world saw me as black. So that is how I learned about racism and black and white culture. And from there, I mean, I've been told it's very heavy and other people give trigger warnings I've experienced extreme racism. I've stared skinheads in the face. I've been punched in the face. I've been spat on. I've had skinheads hail Hitler in my face like... I've told this story before and other people are like, that's not true. That's not real. It's my experience. It's something I don't talk about all the time. I can talk about this now. I'm 47 years old. I used to break down. I used to cry. I used to have nightmares. I'm at a point now where I realize Canadians are not going to believe brown people's experiences unless they have a face. So if I'm the face that you are listening to, that says, I'm telling you, I've been shout at in the parking lot of my hometown, to go back to my country, to go back to where I live at, that I've been punched in the face, that I've been ridiculed, that I've been made to feel out of place, then I will be that face, because I now have that power what is this power what is this what I'm doing that we are now able to live our life and we live a very modest life we are farmers we are surviving what is all of this worth if I cannot help another person not struggle
2: so that's why I'm here today and telling you my struggle.
1: Thank you so much, Stella. Your husband is white. And that's something that we haven't mentioned yet. And you said he's recently become aware of what you have had to endure. Um, And I think I'm going to say a lot of we white folks don't know. Perhaps because we don't have someone close to us. Perhaps we don't have the ability to put ourselves in your shoes because we don't have anything to draw from. We've been white our entire lives. And so we don't know what it's like to be anything else. But we need to hear it. And so... What has he shared with you that he's come to realize now?
0: So the biggest thing is what what you have to recognize is when I am out in public with my husband, I don't experience the racism that I experience on my own. There's a certain privilege that I have with him next to me, including being here talking about my business because of we're a heritage farm. He has inherited land. We have access to loans and agriculture loans. And I know the privilege that I have experienced being with him and where we are today. And I have to say that out loud because I've had... MLAs from Saskatchewan say to me, we all have the same access. We don't. Depending on your power or your network, you have different access. I recently, when our world collapsed, so he lost his job in the oil patch due to the downturn in the oil economy. I had to get a job. I have no education I have no education. People do not recognize that I'm an entrepreneur, self-employed farmer. None of that mattered. It was where did you go to school? How long have you worked there? How do you work with coworkers? I watched business colleagues move forward without education, without experience. I could not. And this is the thing that people don't realize. It is not the same playing field. I have come to accept that. I work within that system. But he finally, I think the light bulb moment or the turn on moment was when the entire country had to acknowledge that they are finding bodies of babies and children. Now, that is something that every Canadian cannot deny. That how do bodies of children and babies end up in the ground in Canada? And that is really where our process of him acknowledging that I live in a different country than he does because of my color.
1: How did that, the discovery of the bodies, affect you?
2: (laughs) Grieving and mourning, and everyone around me just continued on like nothing had happened. And I just can't do that anymore. And my closest friends just listened to me and mourned with me. I was grieving, I still am. <sighs> You try and act like everything is okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay. And so this is, like I said before, I've gone through grief and death. And there's a certain amount you have to turn it off to continue living. You just have to. But having friends and family around you that take on that pain, and validate you, just lifts it off your shoulders. It's just acknowledging that the existence you're living is real and that other people are suffering. I don't know if you have been following the MLA. I don't want to
0: mispronounce her name. Mamalak Kukak. Do you follow her at all?
1: I haven't been because I'm in Ontario, of course. Okay, so she was
0: the first MLA from Nunavut and the territories, and she has been sharing her real experience, and it's been devastating and heartbreaking, and she has since stepped down, and I follow her, and she made a live video, and basically this is how... Now I explain it to people who don't understand why I'm so intense, why I'm sad, just sad. When your house is burning down, so just for one moment, just picture your house burning down with people you love and other people are just watching it. They're watching it. All I want, all anyone that is experiencing pain and distress wants is for you to acknowledge that you can see it. I know everyone doesn't have the answers. I don't have the answers, although we're going to touch on what I'm doing as a person to acknowledge this, how you can help, how you can change things. We are going to address that. But right now, the biggest thing is just addressing that you see it, that it's real, validating people that you can see our house is on fire and it's burning down. There's fire departments, there's neighbors, there's people watching this fire That are not acknowledging it's real or exists or they can feel the heat or smell it or that it's burning. That's all that people want right now is the acknowledgement that there are houses burning down. I
1: can share that I also am grieving it. Affected me a great deal. Um, and what I want to say is. I'm not watching.
0: I know you're not.
1: <laughs> I think there are other people listening. That. Aren't just watching. I think. They're ready with the pail. To start throwing water. But they need the signal if the pail is big enough or maybe th- they need a different vessel to throw that water on. So
0: how do we do it? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And that's why we're talking. That's why we're here. So how Shauna and I met, I was speaking on a panel. Um, We stem a, women's conference. And she reached out and she asked, how can I support you? How can I be the ally you need in this? And what I said was, first of all, wherever you live, literally type the name of your city in and type in ally. So start with where you live. There are people who are already doing this work. They will tell you. They've done this work. They've had consultation. So start with wherever you live. Type in your name, how can I be an ally? Or type in your name of your city and your town and type in ally. So let's start there. The second thing is the government of Canada has acknowledged everything that I'm speaking of. So type in government of Canada, what can I do to be an ally? Calls to action were announced in 2015. So how can you support the government's calls to action? So this is the thing. Google is your friend. Type it in. Anything that you're thinking and feeling, type it in. It will come up and the answers will present themselves to you. What have you learned
1: through your own grieving about Canada and its people.
2: I have been validated as a brown girl who grew up knowing something wasn't right. And I just want other people to learn that your
0: experience is not everyone's in Canada. You do not speak for every human being in Canada. And with that, I acknowledge the greatness. You can acknowledge the greatness of this country, but while people are suffering, You must acknowledge that. That is part of who we are. And this isn't me just saying this. In the next 30 days, our government is going to release 12,000 documented pages to the world. This is something that the entire world is learning about Canada. Now, this is the thing. Where are we going to be on this page as the entire world is learning this? You have a choice right now to decide where you're going to be in that growing and in that learning. So I think a lot of people, and I will include
1: myself in this because I have felt very awkward. Me too. (laughs) In conversations, people just don't don't know what to say. People don't know what to say. People don't know what to do uh the the pandemic has shown us a lot of things and it has done a lot of good however we're m- even more isolated so what can we do what can allies do to start the conversation
0: with people in their own community so i think the biggest thing is how you and i met you asked me how can i help How can I be an ally? So this is the thing that I personally have done. So I'm going to speak about my experience. So we won Business Ethics Award in 2016 from the Chamber of Commerce, the Medicine Hat, Chamber of Commerce, and the Better Business Bureau vetted us. And we recently did a show with Matthew Astorga, a master chef. And it was about food power and it was all about our farm. And in this video, we are talking about, he asked me, what's that like being an ethical business? And what does this mean? And I had this moment where I'm like, am I an ethical business if I'm not honoring the calls to action? So this is just at a time when we're mourning and grieving and you got to turn it off for the cameras. And I said to him, like, "I, I am I an ethical business? Are we ethical businesses? Are we Canadians if we're not acknowledging the pain and suffering of the First Nations and the original Indigenous people of Canada? And this has been driving me like as a farmer who owns land and where this land comes from and how can we give back? So all I can do Is what I know and where I am. And this is the thing everyone's journey is going to be different. So reach out, start asking people that you trust and people that do this for a living what can I do? So, what we decided as a business so, our company is Sweet Pure Honey, we're beekeepers. And we have decided that a portion of the money that we make off of our land, off of our farm, is going to directly support Indigenous people where they are, what they need, without hoops, without applications, without having to jump through hoops and just to give back to people where they are. So I recently met a young woman. Her name is Ina Old Shoes Fairbanks. She's from the Ghana Nation, which is located on the Blood Reserve. And we struck up a conversation and we started talking. She owns Something Wonderful Studios. And we are donating our first... Money, I forgot to mention this, we created boxes of honey where we literally, when this honey sells, we donate a portion of this money towards social change. Most importantly, this is our way of honoring the TRC's business calls to action. So she needed a banner for her company, and we are going to give her the money to create this banner. Now, how I met this woman, we were swimming, and we're talking and she tells me how her and her girlfriend are the first women off of their reserve to be paramedics. And they wanted to be paramedics because the care that they saw coming on the reserve, they wanted to provide the care that they knew they deserved and the people were entitled to. And she had me at, they're the first female paramedics off their reserve. So we just struck at the struck up a conversation, started talking. And this is the thing, you're going to have to open your mind, you're going to have to expand outside of what you know, what helping and giving back looks like, and you're going to have to seek it out. You're going to have to look for it, you're going to have to stretch. But we're finding a way that we can work together and that I can say that I'm giving back in a way that is real and meaningful. I
1: am nothing but inspired by you, uh, by your authenticity, your vulnerability, and your courage.
0: So, what's your. Well, when you have nothing to lose, <laughs> you can be honest. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think that COVID has brought us all to our knees. And what I realize is what I'm experiencing, feeling. Other people are going through similar emotions. It may be different. It may look different. But we are all united in that we don't know what's going to happen next. We can all admit that, I think, at least. And within that, what if we just work to help each other where we are without expectation? Just where are you? Just be honest. What do you need? We don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. But we can use the power and the influence we have to help people put fires out that are burning in their houses. And I really just want people to start thinking about that. And I'm just going to tell you some random things that I do. You're standing in the drugstore and you see a woman counting change and she's paying for medication. Pay for it. You're in the grocery store and you see a woman with children or you see a man waiting for money, a transfer to coming through. There are all moments we all know our conscious is screaming at us. Take it. Do it without social media or someone knowing. Take those moments and be that person who steps out. Be that person that gives another human being hope.
1: I think that's a great place to end it thank you so so much thank you for joining us today and thank you thank you for being you
0: and thank you for reaching out to me
1: This episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Center, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Haudenosaunee and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time...